I just thank God for him. And that's Bishop Keith Reed, who was just awarded his earned doctoral degree in the last 30 days. So congratulations, Bishop. Thank Dr. You, Reed. Thank you, sir. It's great to have you with us, man, it on is, tonight. It is an honor and a privilege. Now, for those of you who may be wondering um, what this is about, growing up in ministry and having the heroes that we had growing up as preacher pastors, people like Caesar Clark, uh, Manuel Scott, Gardner Taylor, E.V. Hill, and Bill Jones and the like. You know, I, I, I thought about it, and, and the late J.J. Robeson, pastor of the Mount Hebron Baptist Church, said if you live long enough, you become like those you once talked about. And Pastor Reed, Dr. Reed, man, has been on the journey a long time. He's been at Sharon Baptist Church for 30 seven years and at its peak um, that church numbered um, over 7,000 active members and even now when you talk to him uh, while that church has gone through transitions just like all churches have it is still a relevant vibrant ministry in the Philadelphia area and along the northeast corridor and man I just wanted to talk to him and get this on tape get this recorded um, because I believe this conversation is a conversation that can bless many. We have some uh, brothers here in the audience, and we're going to take questions later on. Um, but I really want to give him an opportunity to tell his story so that you can hear what God has done in his life. Because the truth of the matter is there's no secret what God can do. And when you hear his story, uh, we often talk about the fact that many times you see the glory, but you don't know the story. Uh, behind it. Uh, man, I, I, I can't, I'm not used to calling you doctor. I'm going to call you bishop, man. Call you Keith, right? Listen, man, yes, for, first, I, I want you to just tell your story in terms of how you got started in ministry. Um, just your life, man. You know, I, I've always found it fascinating, you know, when you told stories about, you know, being on 33rd and Diamond and, and you know, man, just going back to those days, man, your BC days, wow. and, and the reality of Christ becoming your Lord and Savior. Talk, talk about that, man, and how you got to that place. Wow. Um, again, born and raised in North Philadelphia, Raymond Rosen Projects. Um, came up during the era in the 60s and the early 70s, which was called the gang war era, where you had different corners and different um, gangs that represented different sides of the town and different areas in your community. Um, never had to join a gang because my cousins were involved in it. So they were like buffers, but we did have to associate with them. So that would stop them from back then what we would call drafting us into the gang. Uh, make a long story short, um, you know, did what, what, what we did back then. You know, used to ride freight trains, drink cheap wine. Used to have runner to go before, you know, go get it for us. That was usually an older guy, or older looking guy, and we would get the wine, go in the corner somewhere, and we pass it around, and um, get tanked up, juiced up. Um, and then go and then went about doing our devious devilish stuff. So um, came through that area, moved out of the projects. My mother moved to Southwest Philadelphia. Um, 
It was uh, on June 2nd, 1974. I had just came in from a party the night before. Didn't make it in the house. I was so blasted that I uh, slept on the porch on one of those gliders, used to call them gliders, metal gliders that we uh, used to have on the porch. And uh, my mother was coming out that Sunday going to church and she startled me and I startled her as well. And uh, she said, why don't you come on and go to church with me? I said, all right. But in my mind, um, I wasn't going to church to hear the word of God. I was going to church because I knew that in church they had women in church. And uh, I said, you know, I used to always hear if you want to get a woman, you go to church. Yeah, go get a good woman. Go get a good woman, a good good church woman. So I did, I went, I I didn't even go and change my clothes. I had my party clothes on. And uh, that Sunday morning, uh, my pastor then, the late Dr. Hiawatha Coleman, he preached a sermon, the title, I can't remember the text, but the title arrested me. And the title was, it's hard to go to hell. And I said, no, that ain't true. I know I'm on my way and I know I'm going to hell. Well, I'm gonna make a party out. ungodly thinking but he began to talk about what you had to disbelieve and if you would disbelieve and he started chronicling and cataloging the birth of Christ the, the, the miracles the, and he was doing it in his fashion and in his way wow. and proceeded to talk about got to Calvary got to the burial, got to the resurrection, got to the ascension. That sounds like that'll preach right now, right? Now, if you disbelieve all that, hell is your home. The question is, do you believe it? And while he was preaching, going through his um, scenario his emphasis and what he was trying to make as the big idea in those terms now. Right. Um, it literally began to tear down all these false philosophies in my life. And um, I just really got convicted because he says now, why would you go someplace that you haven't received an invitation to go? God has never given nobody an invitation to go to hell but he's always giving people an invitation to come to him. <laughs> and that's how he kind of backed down and sealed it down and said, now, wow. whosoever will. That Sunday morning, walked down that aisle. It seemed like it was forever. We get down to the front. Yeah. And um, Deacon Tommy Young, he'd gone on to be with the Lord now, took me upstairs, Deacon's room, opened up the scripture, took me through the Romans road and at the end of it he asked me and challenged me do you want this do you want to receive this Christ confess with your mouth believe in your heart God has raised from the dead pray that very moment it was as if I felt a, a, a load a rock that was on my chest and I didn't know it was on my chest I didn't know that it was there but when he shared the gospel with me, one-on-one, I accepted Christ. I started 
crying. And for me, back in that day, I was, I ain't glad none of my boys was around because I would have been perceived as being a little punk, a little wuss. And I just couldn't stop. And, um, but I felt, I, I know, you know, salvation is a rational, logical decision, but I'm still of the persuasion that your thinking affects your thinking. And it does make you emote. Mm. And as a result of it, I, um, I asked Christ in my life. I walked down out of that room. Mother was waiting for me. She looked at me, she was crying. And she said to me, you don't even look the same. So I don't know what that means, but I know I don't feel the same. Went home that day. She said, you gonna tell your brother what you did? My oldest brother died. I said, yeah, I'm gonna tell him, you know, my sister, whoever was there, and I told him. And my brother said to me, he said, oh man, that's great. We need to celebrate. He popped open a Coke 45 and gave it to me. <laughs> I tried to drink that thing. This is the honest givers truth, man. Seemed like it got stuck in my throat. And I literally started to regurgitate how it started to taste nasty. I mean, I didn't know salvation had to do with him changing your taste buds. You know what I mean? Um, just quit it. Some things happen immediately, and now I know on this end of salvation, some things begin to happen progressively. So uh, it just changed my life, man. Changed my whole life. 180. And I start getting this insatiable desire to want to know more, you know, to know that Bible yeah. just a little more. And uh, I was going to Bible studies and anything that had to do with truth, um, I was going after it. Anything the church had to offer, I went after it. And uh, slowly but surely, life began to change. And um, lost some friends picked up some new ones, uh, lost some old habits, picked up some new behavior, you know, as time began to go on. And I uh, remember I got called, uh, then I, you know, knew it was a call to ministry, and I literally ran in the opposite direction. I called my pastor, told him what, I, what had happened to me, and uh, he said, son, you, you, you being, I believe this is a call for you to go into ministry to preach. I said, no, this can't be true because I had a speech impediment, stuttered a little bit, particularly when I got excited or when I got angry, uh, I would stutter. And um, I guess that was Moses' cop out too. Um, before I knew that, that's what my issue was. And um, so as a result of that, um, everything I tried to do different than what I was supposed to do. I seen God just shut down doors, shut down circumstances, shut out people, shut out situations. And uh, I, I tried to shake, shake this thing. And I, I didn't know a lot of Bible, but I remembered I heard the old folks saying that God can't use no unclean vessel. So I figured that, okay, that's how you get them off your back. So that Friday night, put on, it's back in my closet, put on my party clothes, 
down on the next corner, a friend of mine, he used to always have these house parties in the basement um, back in the day with the strobe lights, yeah, blowing okay. the dark posters, gotcha. you know, fishnet hanging from the ceiling. And uh, we used to have these house parties in the basement. And um, so I went down to this, this Friday night party. And as I was going down the steps, um, I yelled out, yo, it's a party over here. And all my friends that was down there was looking at me and said, is that Reed? You know, and I said, yeah, man, that's Reed. I jumped out on the floor, tried to dance. I was off rhythm, couldn't even get my steps together. I said, now he done took, changed my taste buds. Now I'm just taking my steps. Now there's something wrong with this thing called salvation, you know. And um, it was obvious that I was the oddball. Felt different, didn't feel right. That night, to make a long story even shorter, that night this gang in the area where we lived was called Woodland Avenue, 5 uh, They crashed in my boss, my boss' house through the component set. Some, for some of you millennials don't know what component set is, that's a record player with two speakers, you know. Uh, through the component set off of the bar, and you know, this started to wreck the place. And I, sitting down in this couch that he had down there, sitting next to this guy. Him and I was cutting it up, chopping it up. And uh, when they came in, this other guy came in, had his long uh, leather coat on, and he reached in it and pulled out a machete. And to this day, he came over me, and I was sitting down trying to get up. And he came over me, and he raised his hand, and his hand started shaking like he couldn't, you know, come down on me with it. And his body turned, and when his body turned, he stabbed a fella that was sitting next to me in both his legs. I jumped up, and I hit him. And he went that way. The guy, you know, he was laying there, you know, kind of yelling and screaming. And he shanked me. He shanked me. So we were fighting. Um, the guy's uh, house that the party was at, his sister, um, used to be my little childhood sweetheart. She grabbed me and pulled me under the steps of the basement. It was like a closet under there. And she wrapped her legs around me. And this little skinny child, she wasn't 100 pounds wet. Wow. Literally held me down. I was trying to get off of her because I was going to go out there, you know, help my boys. And make a long story short, they, they, they left out of the party, and then she let me go. I came out the closet, and I was like, okay, what's going on? They all looked at me, and they said, Reed, man, what you doing here? You don't even belong here, man. Why don't you go ahead home? I said, what you mean? Will you put me out, man? He said, no. You just don't belong here, man. Wow. That was the longest walk from my house, from his house, which was on one corner, and my house was on the other corner. Walked in the house, went upstairs. I had a little cut on my arm, so I was taking care of that. My mother knocked on the bathroom door, opened the door. She had tears running down her face. She said, son, you can run, but you can't hide. Your arm is too short to box a gun. Just do what he says. From that day forward, man, I just started doing what I knew I was supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, 
but before we talk about Sharon, I want you to think back to the Mount Rushmore of people who have invested in your life. Wow. So you talk about Pastor Hiawatha Coleman. Coleman. Yes, sir. And, um, you know, that just the timelessness of that message yes, that he shared with you is so powerful. But, but talk about some of the other men. I, I know some of their names, mm -hmm. but I want you to think back to those men who poured into you, who invested in you when you were a young preacher, mm -hmm. uh, when you would go and just sit at their feet, yes, go to their services, go to their night services yes, and those sir. kinds of things. Yes, and many of them gave you opportunities to share. Right. Talk about some of those men. Um, one of the most influential guys in my um, infantile state of spiritual maturity is the late Timothy Ruffin. Yeah. He, we came out of the same church, Mount Zion. Um, naturally, he's much older than me. He had sons my age back then. He was a phenomenal teacher, man. Solid, sound um, dude. And he could take the complex passages of the complexity of scripture and literally make them plain and understandable. And um, he poured years in my life and just laying the foundation. Now was Ruff gone when you started preaching? No. Was he already at Beulah? Oh yes, yes, okay. he had left, he had left Mount Zion and went to Beulah. Okay. And even my pastor thought that I was going with him. I didn't, I stayed home. And uh, naturally he used to have me over, do, um, taught some, taught at his Bible Institute. Um, Cause I was in, Philadelphia College of Bible back then. Um, and I taught his institute. I used to also um, do a lot of preaching for him, his youth revivals back then and that kind of thing. So he really laid a phenomenal foundation in my life. And, and, and Ruff had that, I call him Ruff because right, you right. and Herman, everybody call calls him Ruff. Ruff. But, but he had just a heart for young preachers, man. He There's did, so man. many of of you that are sharing and yes, preaching and teaching around the country. Yes, sir. That, that rough and laid that foundation. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. And to this day, the foundation has been built upon, but it has not shifted. I mean, he was just, God used him for that season, that time in my life, which was so important. And it was a foundation and a guy that lived the life that was to the right. And because where I came from, I needed a strong pull to the right because I would automatically come back to the middle. Yeah. But uh, he was phenomenal. Uh, God used him in a great way in my life. Um, guys like um, he used people leading other people in the city that had other preachers come, like Dr. Allen at Vine Memorial. Yeah. Cesar Clark used to come. He used to do what we're doing right now. Right, that two-week revival, man. That was, yeah, two that was weeks, crazy. Man. Ten days, yeah. Two yeah, Monday through revival. Friday, two yes, straight sir. weeks. Yes, yeah. sir. I remember sitting there going, man, how did he do that? Yes, sir. He did it for 30, 40 years. 40 years, yeah. man. Yeah. It, it was amazing. And people used to come. Oh, my God. You know, we'd be jammed. Yeah, we say there. seven on a mule. Yes, like, sir. They'd be yeah. up in there, Yes, man. sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you about Charlie Walker. He's another one. Dr. Charles Walker, 19th Street Baptist Church. Yes, sir. He's another one. Um, his, his um, imagination yeah. and his imagery yeah. oh my God. of how he <laughs> could paint a picture of a text, man. 
He was yeah. more contextual than he was more exegetical. Just yeah. real strong in that area, man. And I mean, he and his words and you know how he would say things and he you know be talking. You know, we used to be looking up. What is it? I mean, just a phenomenal guy. Guys like him, Charlie Walker. Um, then I ran into E.E. Hill at a citywide revival that used to come to Philly and do every year for like four or five years he did that. Um, and through him, um, I started going to the Hampton Ministers Conference, and that's when I ran into my last pastor that I had, and that was the Dr. L. Patterson. Yeah. And when I heard him preach, I said, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is that I'm doing, <laughs> but I want to do that. Right. And right. Uh, I was in my 20s when I heard him. And uh, little did I know as time went on, he, um, I approached him and asked him if he would be my pastor because E.K. had died. So he was another one that affected my life. Willie Richardson, Dr. Willie Richardson affected my life, um, planted the major played a major part in the pastoral aspect of my experience. Um, Dr. T.K. Bailey, um, and then the, you know, the list goes on and on, um, and who we came up under, yeah. you know, the Charles Booth and all of those individuals like that, they really um, helped, I guess, to form, to shape, to, uh, I just love the diversity of giftedness and ability when it came to preaching. Yeah, so yeah. They, they really influenced my experience. Um, so you're preaching and anybody who was around in that era, um, young preachers, saved, mm -hmm. man, heard the name Keith Reed. I mean, you know, you, you were doing stuff all over the place, man. College campuses, you was doing youth revivals, youth days, et cetera. And then you got called to Sharon. Lord have mercy. 59th and Catherine, That's right? right? You get called to this church. Uh, talk about the condition that the church was in when you got there, because what it is now is not what you found it's true. when you arrived. It's true. What was your thought process? Because it wasn't like you was looking for preaching or teaching opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you got called that opportunity to go to Sharon, right. what, 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 did, what, did you, what did you think? What moved you at that point? Um, the first thing that I think that um, is necessary and um, important to know is that Sharon Baptist Church was in the newspaper. Um, the Tribune used to call it the Black Dispatch. Yeah, yeah. You know? mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the Tribune, every week it was another episode of the, what I would call the insanity of what was going on in that ministry. What had happened was the deacons had come into the uh, pastor's office one Sunday morning and tried to get him to retire. And they were just as old as he was, okay? But they, they said to him, you know, okay, Reverend King, we like, you know, what you've done and you've done what you can do, so we just want you to, you know, retire. And they, they even gave him a check. They said, we, here's the last check, and we're going to um, we're going to raise the money for you every month to help you towards your retirement and that kind of thing. Well, he had, he had retired from some oil, so he was, he was well off. He was well off. 
he took the check from what I was told and said, you know, tore the check up, threw it on the floor in his office and said, we're going to let the white man handle this. So he literally took the church or those leadership to court. And that's when it hit the fan. So both, them doing what they did was not biblically right. And his response was not necessarily biblically right. So every week, it was something going on at the church. One Sunday, the officers um, uh, did a human chain to block him from getting in the pulpit. And, you know, so there was ruckus going on, fighting going on. And I'm reading this in the paper. And one Sunday, I remember I was uh, reading it to my mother after service. I was, she was fixing me some dinner, and I was like, Mom, you ain't going to believe this. And I started reading it to her. She said, oh, my goodness. I said, I feel sorry for the guy who's going to pass in this church. <laughs> I really did. That was my response. I feel sorry for this guy who's going to pass in this church. God has a sense of humor. So they, they called me. They um, called me to ask me to come preach a youth Sunday uh, because one of the members came to Mount Zion, and that Sunday I was preaching at my home church. And she took my name back. Her name is uh, Marilyn Maddox. She's still there today. Wow. Yeah, she's still there today, 37 years later. And um, took my name back. And so when the deacon called me on, you know, they're giving me a hand on cell phones, they called me to my house and um, told me who he was. And then he said, we'd like for you to come and do our youth Sunday. And I said immediately, well, I got to get back to you because I got to talk to my pastor about this. Because I'm saying, y'all crazy over there. I ain't going over there. Y'all might bring back some of my BC days. <laughs> and I'm trying to move on from that, you know. So I, 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 you know, I did that. So I went to my pastor, and I literally um, had this precursor of our conversation. And I said to him, I said, I, I, I said Pastor Tom, you ain't going to believe this, man. You know that church over there at 59th and Catherine Street where they have a throwing a human chain, where the deacons is fighting with the preacher, and I start naming all the list of the things that the paper would say. I said, they want me to come over to preach. What you think? So I thought he was going to say, no, son, you need to stay away from that. He asked me a question. He said, when you got called to preach, where did God tell you to preach at? I said, in all the world. He said, is that part of all your world? All the world? I said, yeah. Go ye therefore. Man, this guy getting biblical on me now. <laughs> this church is crazy. No, I, don't I, I said, okay, Pastor. I called the deacon back. He said, great. Look forward to see you. So I, I, I didn't know, and it's the truth. And, and, and let me stop you there, because yeah. I think it's an important lesson there, because there was a, there was a respect and an expectation yes. that pastors had for their associate ministers, mm -hmm. and associates gave the pastors. Right. And, and that's, a, that's a covering. That's yes, it a, is. That's a protection. Absolutely. You know, because if your pastor has said, because he knows something else, right. maybe said, no, don't go. No. Then I wouldn't have went. You wouldn't have went. And him telling you to go. Yes, sir. Gave you an yeah. anointing and a blessing in your an going. assurance and a confirmation about yeah. going. You yeah. Know? And that's the truth. That's the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So yeah, because I, I always tell associates, you know, they come and say, hey, pastor, I'm going to preach. Say you you asking me or you telling me you right. like if you informing me that's right. that's, that's different you right. know right but but you may be walking into something 
you know, that's and it's always a blessing to go with a blessing. Absolutely. Right, wherever you go. Absolutely. So that's tremendous. Absolutely. So he, he, um, he told me to go. He gave me his blessings to go. And I went, and I'm not going to lie to you, I thought about strapping up just in case <laughs> something break out. But I didn't. And um, I went that Sunday morning. It was such a receptivity of what God gave me to give to them that Sunday morning. It literally blew my mind, man. I was like, wow. And like seven, eight people came and joined the church that Sunday morning. And um, I was so anxious even to get out of there because I didn't know at what time something might jump off or because the pastor was still living in the parsonage. And um, I even left with leaving my offering. I, I left out, got my stuff, got in the car, and the deacon came out and said, hey, hey, wait a minute, Reverend Lee, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I got your offering. I said, oh, you can mail it if you want to. <laughs> and um, he said, no, 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 this way I get it. So he again, came and gave it to me. I said, okay, Dick, thank you, man. Appreciate it, opportunity, and I got out of there. Little, um, maybe the month passed, two months passed, they called me back and asked me, could I preach again? And I told my pastor, he said, come. I went second time. They called me back a third time. And every time I went, I saw something different than what I read in the papers. There was a remnant of people in there that really wanted to do the, word, the, the will of God and they had a hunger and thirst for the word of God. And after the third time, I said to the Lord, okay, I did one for each one of y'all, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm good. I don't need to go back. They called me back to do a three-night revival. And every time I went back, somebody always joined the church, you know, came, accepted Christ. I didn't know if they was leading the Christ back then or not. Um, and then when I did that three-night revival, it was like, Creating those three nights, it was like 10 people that came and joined Sharon. Then I left after that. They called me back. They wanted to do an interview with me so that I would be the interim pastor at the church. I said, I know the Lord ain't calling me to do this. So again, I went back to my pastor, told him what he said, you know, what they said and what they wanted me to do. Um, and I had to be interviewed. They had other people, too, that they had to interview. And I said, um, they just want me to enter. They just want me to preach um, on certain Sundays. They want me to do the communion. And if anybody join you or baptize, do baptism. He said, son, that's one of the greatest things that you could ever do. Reason number one is number one, you have to bring something fresh to that pulpit every Sunday. Can you do that? Is that in you? do that. You're doing evangelistic work now. You know, you're preaching everywhere. Sometimes you preach the same sermon. You know, uh, he said, it'll prove that if you can do that. It'll validate that. He said, you don't have no responsibility. You don't have to make no decisions. You just go preach. Serve and lead. He said, it'll be a good tool to hone you. I said, okay. All right. 
this is a crazy church, Pastor. This, this church is in the papers, da, 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 da. He said, every time that you went to preach for me, did you see that? Did they act that way towards me? Did you see me act that way on that Sunday morning? I said, no, sir. He said, stop reading the paper and read the Bible, man. Go ahead and go do what it is that you're supposed to. And I did. When I went there, they had 250 people on roll, about 135 people active. And it was in a sanctuary that seated about 650, maybe 700. And they could have the capacity in the lower basement. They can put another two, 300 down there with just chairs. Um, the thing that amazed me is, one, I discovered that I could preach something fresh every Sunday. Two, I was doing something that I didn't know that it was called that. And that was, I was preaching verse by verse. And I was doing series in the very beginning of me being there. Um, it was more like running commentary. Um, and um, then every week, there was a section of scripture. And for them, they didn't know that verse one connected to verse two. And verse two connected to verse three. They didn't know anything about culture and context and syntax and those kinds of things. And, um, and just doing that, then in that time, in that era, I, I saw the church, the people begin to grow. And I saw the church begin to grow numerically. Mm. And because um, Sharon was known to be a, like a singing church, you know, they, they and, I, and, and I look at things differently now because, you know, you can say they're carnal, they this, they that, they was this, they was all that. But they only did what they knew. Um, I found out my predecessor, God bless his soul. I think he did, he was a fatherly type. He moved them from South Philly to Southwest Philly to um, purchase the building that we were in that I, came in on the tail end of his ministry. But I found out he, he never taught a Bible study in 30 years. His Sunday morning message was no more than 15 minutes um, every Sunday. And during that era, you know, people had a longer attention span. Yeah, yeah. They, they were listening differently. And so I would preach 50 minutes an hour, easy, every Sunday. And they would sit there, man, and they would, you know, I look back at it, I thank God that they let me try, try out on them, you know what I mean? Um, but they started growing, and I started growing. Um, in my life personally, just studying books of the Bible and chapters and yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. You know, Bailey used to tell us um, one of the benefits of expositional preaching, yes, right, was what it would do to the life, life of the preacher. Yes, sir. The, yes, sir. the discipline of yes, not sir. skipping around the Bible. Absolutely. But going down verse by verse. Oh, and um, yeah, yeah. So, th so that was powerful. Yeah. I, I remember talking to you about this as you went in to Sharon. And I think one of the things that people uh, 
don't realize, I think people like you, people like Dr. Ralph West, mm -hmm. people like Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, mm -hmm. who have experienced that vertical alignment of ministry where the culture of the preacher is in alignment with the culture of the church yeah. and in alignment with the culture of the community, yeah. that you have the recipe there for mm -hmm. explosive growth. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you're a Philly guy. Yes, I mean, sir. That through Born and through, and right? Yep. And, yep. but what you did going into that church, and one of the things you said to me when we were talking early on, mm -hmm. um, as I was moving into the pastoral mm -hmm. ministry, I asked you what were the keys to your success? And, and you talked about preaching, teaching, and training. Yes, sir. Right? That you weren't doing the revivals like you used to do mm -hmm. it, but you were there Sunday, yep. Wednesday, and Saturday. Yes, I never forget that. You told yes, me, sir. you said, hey, man, every Sunday, yep. every Wednesday, yep. every Saturday. Yep. Some folk didn't come. Right. You taught the folk who came. Yes, sir. Um, I was related to one who didn't come. <laughs> my, my family member, my cousin, yes, was a member there. Yes, and, uh, Lord, but she's Jesus. a much older cousin right, and of right. the hell-raising variety. Yes, sir. So, um, I ain't going to say her name. Bless her soul. Bless but but, her but soul. talk about why that was important in the evolution of Sharon. Because I think a lot of times, especially younger preachers, they see, they see you moving, they see the revivals, mm -hmm. and they walk in and see this mammoth structure now. They mm -hmm. see this tremendous campus, but they don't know how you got there, mm. you know, and the work that you put in, man. I mean, yeah. you put some work in. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I, I think that one of the things that um, Willie Richardson taught me was this whole issue about discipling men. Um, because again, the church then, back then, they had 19 auxiliaries. 17 to 18 of them were all ran by women. And I was deliberate about asking those women that were there in those positions as presidents back then and that kind of thing, um, where's your husband? And was shocking to them because no preacher has ever asked them that question. And then their response was, oh, he home. My husband needs a lot of prayer. Pastor, he needs a lot of prayer, Rev. He really do. Don't, don't worry about him. I'm here. I'm here. I said, oh, okay. I see where this is at. See where this is going. So I intentionally asked them, um, would you like your husband to come to church? And they said to me back then, yeah. I, yeah, I would like him to come to church. Of course I would like him to come to church. I said, well, I need you to do something for me. And if you do this for me, I think it would affect him. I'll come to church. I said, all right. I said, one of the things I want you to do is that I don't want you, when you go home from Sunday, I don't want you to say nothing about me. Don't go home talking about, well, my pastor preached today. You should have been there. It was, it was, there was a message that he could have given. I said, don't do that because he, he going to dislike me. And I don't even know the man. So don't say nothing about that. This is what I do want you to do, though. I want you to go home. I want you to fix him his dinner. I really do. I want you to fix him his dinner. And I want you to fix him the dinner before you leave and not when you come back. He's probably hungry. 
that you probably hung out the night before, but you just make sure you fix his dinner. Fix his plate, put it down, serve him. Be like, no, what are you talking about? I ain't doing that for him. He's not this, he's not that. He don't deserve me. So I had to set them down and talk to them from out of First Peter 3 and how that if you're living with an unsaved man, how that you need to win this man or at least take Nobody ever did that for them. Nobody ever told them that kind of thing. That was like revolutionary for them. Um, and <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, this is no lie, they started applying the scripture that they were being taught. And I can always tell when the husbands will be coming that never came before because they come to church with suits on that were outdated. <laughs> you know what I mean? They had these big wide lapels, you know, having them suits that look Leisure like. Leisure suits. Yeah, 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 from the Temptations, you know, that they had, you know, and big old fat, big old ties. Right. Just uncoordinated and all that, and I'll see him come, and 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 I said, um, and I said to them, I said, what will happen if you do it God's way, and this is the way to do it, and share with them how to do that, kind of thing. I said, what will happen is, they're going to say, how you, where you learn that from? Why you changing? You know, what is it that you doing? What's that? Then you say my name. He said, you know, the truth of the matter is my pastor has taught me how I should have been treating you. And I have not been treating you the way that God wanted me to treat you. That was brother said, we're going to see that dude. I want to find <laughs> out who he is and what he is, you know. Right. And so that kind of started to, to shift in our church and the attitude. The men started to come to church. And I never demean them, belittle them. Right, right. I even cut out that men and women's day thing because that was subconsciously a competition. And there was always more women in the church than there were men in the church. So I called it layman's day. So we, you know, converged where both of them had to work together. Nobody got all the press and yeah, the women need. And sometimes I think us as preachers back then, they didn't know it, but they were setting that kind of atmosphere up. Sure. Sure. And um, so I learned that from Willie Richardson. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, man, don't don't know Willie Richardson, oh, um, you know, because he's not that frequent flyer preacher, pastor, right. running revivals right. all over. Right. But you and I were talking earlier this week. I, I don't know of anybody, man, that has a stronger church oh, man. than Christian Stronghold. To this day. To this day. I mean, I mean, unbelievable, the, the, man. The, the, the way that he does things the same way he used to do things, and it has the same effect. I mean, yeah. who does five-night revivals, man? <laughs> right. Nobody does that that I know of. Right. He still does it to this day. Yeah. You start on Sunday night. Exactly, right. And you go through Friday, and they are in there. They are up in there. <laughs> you know, yes, they, they are, are in there. there. And he's up in age now, he's in his 70s, but uh, his mind is still yeah. sharp. You know, step, steps may be slower, but his mind is still sharp. Yeah. And, um, yeah. he, 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 he was one of those guys that invested and sown in my life. One of the things that you did um, was connect with E.K. Bailey yes. and the Institute on Church Growth. Um, and that was a time period 
I had always heard of you, and, mm -hmm. and man, you, and I, and I want to thank you oh, mercy, publicly, man, because you was man. always so gracious mercy, man. And, and just God. cool, you know Praise what I mean? God. And I know a whole lot of guys who had a whole lot less who would high-side you <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> try to play like, you know, oh, who are you, you yeah, know? Yeah. But man, you were just always like, man, what's up, bro? Mm -hmm. You know, how you doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, man, when I started preaching, you were kind. Even when you found out who my cousin was, you were still kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when I started pastoring, man, and, and then when I came back to Chester, um, you know, we, we really connected, man, and you really took me under your yeah. wings. And, and I remember you telling me, because I was talking about what the church was doing, and, and you said, hey, man, you, you need to come to Dallas, man. Uh -huh. You need to come to Dallas. Yes, and I, did, I had no idea where to go, what to do. And you said, man, yes, come sir. on down with me, man. Yes, I, got, I got a bunch of guys, and you have been taking groups of people down there yes, for years. Yes, sir. Um, talk about how that Institute on Church Growth changed you and changed the ministry yeah. of Sharon. Because yeah. you, you literally took hundreds of people yes, down there over the years yeah. to see the model right. and then contextualize it right. for Philadelphia. And, and see, the thing is that, you just said that, and that was the church was growing, but I had no model of African-American descent to, that I didn't know that I could go to, to kind of be, uh, so that it could relate to who we are, what we are, and that there's some other people doing this better than. And for me, secondly, uh, first, first, first of all, it was because I knew the church was growing and I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to pastor those people by myself. I just knew that at a young age when I was doing it. Um, I was everything. I was a pastor of Christian education, pastor of evangelism, pastor of children ministry. You know, I was all that. Um, and, and, but I also had enough sanctified sense to know that I, I can't do this at this rate for the rest of my life. I, I didn't know what to do, but I knew that there was something that could be done. And I heard about it. I didn't hear about it. I met uh, Dr. Bailey at um, uh, a guy in Modesto, California. Bill Yeager, I think his name was. Mm -hmm. he, he, he was. He was a white brother in Modesto, but he pastored like a black man. He really did. Um, and that's when that staff concept came into play. That, you know, his first Baptist Modesto. I Modesto, think was, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. He said that, uh, this little phrase he had, he said, every shepherd has a staff. And the staff is an extension of the shepherd. And then he came back and said, where's your staff? And he contextualized it in wow. our day and what that represented. People of like spirit to help you do what you need done but you can't do it by yourself. They went through the Bible and started validating, you know. Jesus had a staff, 12 disciples, you know, that kind of thing. And Paul had Timothy and Titus and, you know, uh, Moses had Joshua and the 70 elders and that kind of thing. And he kept going through scriptures and contextualized it in our day. Uh, this was staff, there was nothing more than staff, assisting the pastor to do what he was called to do. And so I learned that from him. I had to learn it, then I had to baptize it in chocolate. 
and, and make it you know, relevant to our situation. And, uh, but I, I, I just, it was this gnawing in me that, is there anybody of ebony hue that's doing this? I know this is not just for white Christians. I, I just had that inclination in my soul that, no, God, I know you ain't prejudiced. They might be, but you not. So I know there's somebody of African descent that is doing this kind of thing. And that's what I found out, that E.K. was going to Jaeger. And I met a group of people, and a mutual friend, Barry Roberts, was on E.K.'s staff at that time. Him and I went to Bible college together. Gotcha. And um, then he told me about, he said, I'm going to hook you up with E.K. Bell. He said, he needs to know you, and you definitely need to know him. And he does the Institute on Church Growth and Excellence. I said, he does this? He said, absolutely. But in our culture, in our context. Man, the next time I found out about it, and, he, um, and um, Dr. Willie Richardson, he also confirmed that. I flew down to Dallas, Texas by myself the first time. Second time, I took two of the uh, two staff pastors that I had uh, you know, put on staff. And then the next time, I took 26. We put it in our mission budget. We took it at airfare. We took it at air registration. And I even took care of some of their meals, you know, that kind of thing. And the only thing they had to do was take care of their meals. And um, when we got through that week, because back then it was like four or five days, right, you know right. what I mean? And each night, we would go back to the hotel. The hotel would give us a little room. And I would have to calm them down, because they were ready to go back and storm the troops and take the church and say, we ain't doing nothing. We gonna go back and get this right. And uh, so calm down, Woo-side, God side, God side, God side, man. And, um, and, and so that started the process. Yeah. And it helped me to help them see that I wasn't crazy and I wasn't the only one trying to do this. Yeah. I, so it catapulted. It added years to my ministry on the one year or the five years that I did going back and forth. Yeah. So it, it just changed and they helped me change the shift of the church and from auxiliaries to ministries and things like that and pastors over um, the foundational areas that the New Testament church had when they first started, you know, evangelism, Christian education, administration, and, and worship, and yeah. that kind of thing. And, and so it just really, it took off, man. It well, really I tell you off. what, I remember uh, when we went in 1988, wow. that's that such a crazy year for me. Yeah. Um, and I remember you taking me down there. Yes, sir. And I remember that little sneaky smile you had, like you couldn't wait for me to get blown away. Oh, man. Like you had been I'm blown away. I'm telling you, man. Right? We yes, get down sir. there, and you know, it's almost like going to a movie when you know it's a really good part. You say, watch this. Watch yes, this. Sir. Watch <laughs> this. Yes, sir. Yes, and, sir. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, out of that Institute on Church Growth, all of the conferences that E.K. Bailey Ministries has done was given birth to. Yeah. Right? The Black Male, Male Conference, conference yeah. was actually a lecture. Yep. 
started as a lecture. Yeah. The expository preaching conference started <laughs> as a lecture. Absolutely. The women's conference started as a lecture. That's right. Um, so everything really was given birth to out of that. And when we talk yes, about sir. developing, discipling African-American yes, men, yes, sir. started there in, yep. in, that, in that conference. In that conference. And, You're right. and that conference, man, was always such a blessing, man. I mean, I wanted to cry when he decided not to right. continue to do it right. because right. I just knew how much it blessed me because like you, I was looking for a model. I knew what I was doing was not enough. Right. And I remember talking to you, you said, hey man, you need to come to Dallas come with on us. Me. Go with me, man. And I was, man, I, were you talking about blown away? Mm -hmm. And actually, That's it was that year when we went to the conference that you yes. said, man, let's go buy Dallas Seminary. Yes, sir. And we was like, man, Dallas Seminary? Yeah. Had no idea, wow. met a brother named Jeff Shropshire, right. who took us around, Yep. and he asked about seminary and right. where we had been to seminary, and I said, man, I, I always wanted to go to seminary, I always wanted to come to Dallas, right. but it was too late. Right. And he said, why do you say it's too late? And I was like, man, I got two kids, one right. on the way. Right. He said, yeah, well, we got scholarship money, and whatnot. Right. I said, like, what? <laughs> really? And uh, and that next year, Amen. I applied when I got back. I remember reading the cover off of that yes, catalog and uh, applied and moved to Dallas, man, yes, in 1989. I and couldn't believe it when you did it, man. You couldn't believe it? I was like, really? <laughs> you going to do that? Yeah. I mean, don't take it like it did, bro. <laughs> you, you know what was crazy about that? Man, so many guys said, man, Kofi, you ain't lost your mind. You know, guys go to seminary to get a church. Right, right. You already have a church. church. You're leaving. Right. Why would you leave a church? That's right. And our church was growing. I mean, right. we was at the I point remember. now we was about to go to two services. I remember. And, yep. and, you know, I'm, I'm rocking and rolling, man. Yep. And, and, and God is like, no, nah, mm -hmm. man, this, this is what I want you to do. And it yep. was like, wow. And there weren't a whole lot of people who were encouraging. Right. Uh, even my nice. mother looked at me like I was crazy. Because <laughs> uh, I had a great job. Right. I, mean, I was bivocational, but mm -hmm. I had a great job, mm -hmm. you know, and something unheard of right. in this day and time. Man, I had 100% medical coverage That's at my right. job. Right. Man, my youngest son was born. I didn't yes, pay a sir. bill. I didn't my, pay a my, dime. My, my, and my. it was like, and they were like, hey, man, we're going to make you a manager. We're going to mm -hmm. build you a house on mm -hmm. campus. And, mm -hmm. I, and it was mm -hmm. like, God was like, no, I need you to go. Change your journey. Man. Yeah, and it was. Uh, yeah, it was crazy, man. But I, I appreciate that. Yes, um, I, I want to take some questions from some of the audience members who are here, the brothers who are here, sisters who are here. Um, but I want you to talk a little bit about the shift that you've seen in ministry and where you are now. Thirty-seven years ago, you started at Sharon. Um, arguably, during those first few years. And even beyond that, man, the fastest growing church in Philadelphia. Right. Um, I mean, man, people are coming. You know, I would hear numbers, man, mm -hmm. you know, 25 people join church. You know, I don't know, one Easter, I think you had like 50 something yes, people join, something like that, man. man it, it was, was like, crazy. yeah, it was like, oh my God, man, like, yeah. what is going on? Um, but you've been there through a lot. Uh, you, you shifted your worship from the original campus where you all were. Um, you bought what was, if I remember correctly, wasn't it a, a hospital for the mentally ill? Uh, children's um, hospital. Children's for, hospital. For crippled children. Okay. It was like a rehabilitation. Right. So that right. was abandoned yeah. property. You bought that property and then right. you built this right. monster Mercy, sanctuary man. on it, man. Mercy. And, uh, and, and 
you know, church continued to grow uh, and, and expand. Uh, your staff expanded. Um, but you paid a price through all of that, and yes, there's sir. been struggles yes, with all of that. What are some of the shifts that you see taking place in, in ministry now? Um, one is, is that um, I found out that a lot of things that I didn't have to do because of growth and assistance and staff that I started out doing, I began to kind of back off doing those things because I had other people do certain things. And, and, and I want people to know, you know, you, the reason you conferred and took on that title bishop, it oh, wasn't no, um, that. like, like the brother we had dinner with in the right. restaurant that time, right? Uh, it, it really was because, man, you had so many sons in the ministry. Yeah. I mean, it was like yeah. everybody yeah. in the, in the tri-state area, New yeah. Jersey, Delaware, Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, man, if they had a chance to get a, a, a staff pastor man. from Sharon, Oh, man. man, you had guys that were going out. I mean, it seemed like every yeah. year you had one or two staff people getting called to churches. And, um, and, and they honored you with mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't you calling in somebody to say, you know, hey, make me a bishop. I mean, these yeah. guys, you know, were guys that served with you. Yeah. And, and, and some of them never served with me. But they oh, on staff, right. But they yeah. were associate ministers yeah, or that yeah. kind of thing. And then right. some of them were guys that I never knew. But they knew me. You know, I've been to a city there, preached or whatever. Gotcha. And they came and that kind of thing. And they wanted to talk. They wanted to, you know, find out what was going on. So the Episcopacy, I didn't have to go after it. It came after me. Um, I, and then, you know, I, I, was, I was cool. And I said to the, because it started out with like 10 guys from different churches. And one of my sons in ministry. And, um, they, they, they were the ones that came and said, man, this, this is what you're doing. And this is what we would like to be done. We, we would want to you know, be accountable. We want to you know, get information. We want to be able to tap into, you know, and that kind of thing. And there was a season where you actually started a conference. Absolutely. I did. I, I did a, um, you did ICG East? East. Yeah. yeah. How many yeah. years did you do that? I did that for about seven years, seven, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it was, thanks be to God, it was, I think it was impactful. It was, you know. That conference um, thing is more than a notion. Yes, uh, <laughs> Jesus on the main line, tell them what you want. Um, no, I, I, uh, um, I, I just see, I saw this too. I saw a shift in ministry. I saw that being the model that would be affecting churches versus the convention. I'm going to say something, and this might get out. But um, I think that era and that season for conventions is about almost gone. I, I think God's move, if that's what you want to use, uh, or shift is that he's using churches that are at a level of ministry that can take on more responsibility by sharing and imparting and yeah. um, being intentional about helping other churches. Um, and, and, and again, like you say, the, the, the mega church is, is, 
is, um, you know, it's far and few. You have more churches that range from 200 to 500 than you do churches that have 7, 10, 6, 5, even 2,000. Um, uh, more of them than you do, quote, unquote, these mega churches kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that it's the responsibility of those so-called mega churches to share. Yeah, I think you know, I mean? you, you know I, that's I the beauty the of the IC3 model, and mm -hmm. I know you're on the board right. of of that group led by Dr. Ralph Douglas West, because there was a shift that took place from the convention yep. church, and I think one of the problems with conventions is they didn't lead churches, they followed churches. Yes. yes. And so they affirmed in many instances right. an antiquated model for yep. ministry. Yep. And they saw themselves as the bastions to hold on to yes, what sir. was instead of looking at and exploring what can be. Absolutely. And then we made a shift to the teaching church, right. which Concord was for many right. years, the right. model. Right. And that scared the bejeebas out of a whole lot of Absolutely. Convention, no churches, presidents and leaders right. and moderators right. who were like, man, Bailey's trying to start a convention. Right. And Bailey was just trying to impact churches. Absolutely. And now Absolutely. we have seen, because I think those teaching churches have their own holes mm -hmm. and their own ongoing challenges, mm -hmm. that we're, we're seeing now a consortium of teaching churches mm -hmm. that are brought together amongst their pastors. Yes, sir. So to have you, to have Jeffrey Johnson, mm -hmm. to have Freddie Haynes, mm -hmm. to bring that kind of power into one setting under one umbrella, mm -hmm. now does what the convention should do, um, but never really did, right. Right. and is not doing even now. Absolutely. Um, Man, those who have some questions, if you have a question, man, please use that microphone um, there and, uh, and you can just come up and ask. I'm, I'm gonna keep on talking and until somebody asks a question. And if I guess, if I keep on asking good questions, then we probably won't get too many <laughs> questions, right? Um, what do you see as the challenge today? Um, you know, I, I have been here for 25 years at Good Hope and I have seen our church go through the life cycle mm -hmm. of birth, growth, plateau, yeah. begin to decline. Yeah. Uh, some of that has come about because we've planted three churches out of our church. Gotcha. Um, but we're also in the era yeah. where we're seeing a decline in That's church right. attendance Period. as we have previously defined Absolutely. church attendance, which Absolutely. basically means people Period. sitting in the pews. That's right. And that's across the board, Absolutely. across denominations, Absolutely. across races. Absolutely. What are you seeing in Philadelphia and in your travels and as you talk to your friends? And where do you see us going as a church as we move into the 21st century? I think one of the things that I think is a difficulty um, for churches, uh, across the board is that we tend to die for a method and don't live for a principle. Meaning we will literally put stakes down 
sing that great hymn, I Shall Not Be Moved, over a method. And the method is irrelevant. Mm. It, it, it no longer works. And I don't think God has ever given us a method to die for. But he has given us principles to live for. And if we can't see like the men of Ishakar and, and Chronicle, Chronicles um, <laughs> excuse me, 12, it says that they were aware of their times, and one translation says, and they knew what was best for Israel. Meaning they knew what to do in the time that they were living to cause Israel to have some level of success or productivity. I think that in our day, we are not aware of our times, we're living in a time. So we're trying to hold on to, to old methods. Yes, sir. And old forms. Absolutely. That worked in that time. Absolutely. And now are trying to transfer that into yes, this modern time. Absolutely. But they don't work, work anymore. Yeah. It just don't work. It, it's okay. If it's broke, what you supposed, you know, we always say if it's broke, fix it. You know what I mean? If it ain't broke, I ain't gonna fix it. Well, this is broke. This is broke, and not only need you can't fix it, what's broke, you need to throw that out and get something new yeah. and do what's necessary. One of the phrases I used to often use when I teach transitioning is that you cannot do Flintstone ministry in the Jetson age. You just can't do it. So if, if you're going to be Flintstone, you're going to become like the Flintstones, a dinosaur, a relic. Yeah. But if you're going to be progressive and live in the times that you are in, you are forced to change. The, the other thing that, that, that's perplexing to me is that we serve a God that produces change. And so why won't we be open to change? I mean, you know, Philippians 1.6, he that began a good work in you will perform it. He's going to keep on doing it until Jesus comes back. So the question is, is Jesus back? No. So he still must be doing something and change is taking place. Well, if you take that vertically, I think if your vertical is right, your vertical affects your horizontal. You can't spend time with God, be in tune with God, and not starting to look like God and not starting to do what God does. So I think that, I think it's a deeper theological issue for us not to change mm. than it is a um, um, physiological, you know, pragmatic issue. So and you hear saints a lot of times talk about how that, I remember when the Lord, I remember when the Lord, and I had just had that as Sharon, and when we moved to Conchahokan, Avenue said, yeah, you remember, you remember back at 59th Street, Bishop? You remember back? I said, yeah, I remember, but is he doing anything here now? Is he doing, and it got to a point one time I even said, I don't want to hear nothing about 59th Street. I want to talk about Conchahokan Avenue. Is the Lord doing anything new? Yeah. Is he doing anything different? And I think we get stuck in a time, and therefore we're not aware of our time. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Question. Bishop? All right. Yes, sir. I was making sure it was working. Hey, you mentioned how you brought the men to church. What did you do to keep them growing? 
um, again, we had, a, a, I started a discipleship group and I would meet with them. This, back then, it was on a Thursday night for about two hours. From, and I got consent from their wives and their women that just hand them to me, let me have them for two hours. And if you don't get a different man when he leaves here, then please don't encourage him to come back or, you know. I was, man, they, were, they was coming back talking about, you need any more time with him? <laughs> this, this dude is not the same dude. You know, this, this guy, I mean, man, there's something happening to him. He's doing something differently. So j just kind of connecting with him from that perspective. And, and I know initially we say, man, I can't do that too. Well, you can, but you just got to cut out the ancillary and the tertiary, secondary things. And if that is primary, if that's what you, you need to make is primary, I, I promise you, you will, you'll pay the dividends of that is more valuable oftentimes than the one-shot deal revivals that we get. You know, um, and we give up that time to do that one-shot deal where this is like long-term kind of productivity. And, and I don't regret that at all, because there were some times I just said, no, I, I, if I can come, I have to come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know what I mean? Something like that. Or um, y'all got to give me a pass on Thursday and I'll pick it back up on Friday. You know, you know, just because I was committed to that because I saw the result of that. And so I think, I think the pastor has to make a conscious decision of wanting to do that and why he needs to do that. If he's going to build a church, nothing wrong with my sisters, um, but you know, you, you you don't see men coming to church where there's a lot of women at. I mean, you just don't. But you find a lot of women coming to church where there's a lot of men at. <laughs> oh yeah, they'll 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 they they'll come up on on up in there for real, <laughs> you know. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think you have to make a decision to disciple, and you don't have to use again my method. That was a method. It worked then. I still have a remnant of it now, but I've discipled enough men that now in our men's ministry, uh, they rotate the leadership in it. Every three years, every three years, and they can only serve the maximum of two terms, which is six years, then they have to rotate out. And somebody else has to, you know, take it. So I, I've taken on, I'll tell you what I had to take back, and that was the whole issue of di discipling and training my deacons, my officers, male and female officers. Um, I gave that to somebody to do that, a disciple, a guy that I discipled for 10 years. And then I started looking at the kind of leadership that was being produced out of that, and it made me, wait a minute, I gotta go back and revisit that. And then when I started to inspect what I was expecting, I found out that the Lord said to me, I never told you to get that up. I never did, but you know, you did it, and it's cool, you know. But um, I, I took that back on. And I'm getting different leaders because they get in my heart, man. And, you know, they, I'm with them every week, sure. you know, on that day, whenever it is that. And I made it two days. I said, they do it on Wednesday, but they get the same information on Saturday because there were some that could make it on Wednesday. The 
couldn't make it on Saturday, and those there was those that could make it on um, couldn't make it on Wednesday, but could make it on Saturday. So I just think it's that whole discipleship thing and making it cool, you know. Okay. Okay. Anybody else have any questions or anything? Um. Everybody's talking about millennials. Mm. <laughs> um, it, it's amazing. Um, kind of skipped over uh, yeah. uh, the uh, Gen Xers. Yes. And everybody's focused on this Generation Y and yeah. social media and the like. Yeah. Um, funny conversation. I was at the National Baptist Convention. I've been asked to speak on ministering to millennials. And one of the brothers said to me, he said, yeah, man, he said, we got to, he said, man, I'm so glad you're here, man, because we got we to gotta minister to this hip-hop generation, you know. <laughs> and he kept on talking, and I said, brother, I said, you know, the hip-hop generation, we're in our 60s now. My, my. You know, NWA stands for Negroes with Arthritis. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, we're we, we two generations behind, yes, you know sir. what I mean? Yes, sir. Um, what, what is the church going to do? Because I think this seems to be, to me, part of the byproduct of trying to hold on to the forms yes, sir. and the methods of ministering to builders and older boomers. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. I went back to the church that I attended when I was in college. <laughs> Excuse and me. so we're talking about now 40 years. Wow have passed, wow. right, 40 years yes. since I was a freshman in college. Yes. And I went back to that church to preach the 100th church anniversary. Wow. And I listened to the struggles that the pastor's having. And I tried to do it in a, as nice right. a way as possible. But because I have history there mm -hmm. and was there for four years and mm -hmm. preached a lot and things like that, you know, I told him, I said, man, and I looked at some of those deacons who yeah. were young deacons or yeah. not even deacons when I was there right. and the older sisters and the mothers of the church who were the young yeah. ladies. Then. And man, they are horrible. Oh, God. Like, I mean, they are horrible. And yes. I told them, I said, you were doing the same thing that you complain. And I started calling the names of some right. of the old members that I remember. Right. Like, you are worse than them. My Lord have mercy. You know, what are we going to do? Um, I, I, I can tell you what I'm doing. Uh, I don't know what, um, what, what works for, you know, what might work for other, other people. Um, one of the things that I have come to the conclusion of, because I live in a house of millennials, and, um, and I had the privilege of raising them on a day-to-day -day basis. And so there were some things that they were getting that other millennials wasn't getting as far as truth and you know structure and form and order and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things that my son and my oldest daughter shared with me, they said, Dad, you know, one of the things that um, I, I, I want to say to you, and I don't want you to take it wrong, but um, if you want to get us, and they, and they was very forthright with me, and I told them they could be. They said, if you want to get us, you, you may have to change not your method, but the length of your message. 
And uh, my son gave me this, and I shared this at IC3 one year, this point on my preaching, on my homiletics. He said, Dad, I notice often you, you do this. You point a lot. You know, you point a lot. He said there was a study that was done of two lecturers. One, one when they lectured, they lectured with their hands and they did this, open palm. But when they pointed, they, they did, you know, like this versus like this. And they showed, scanned across the audience, and they, I don't know how they monitored that, but they were more receptive to the guy that was talking with his hands open versus the guy. You know what I mean, doing that kind of stuff. Um, the other guy was, you know what I mean, just open hand. He said, the receptivity of just that little tweak. Now, I could have got offended. I said, this is the way I've always done it. You mean tell me that way I'm doing and what I'm doing, you try to say that this don't work no I got more time doing this than you right. telling me. Look at this me, building. Do you see like, that? Come yeah, on, right. what, 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 what? I, I took it. I humbled myself. I said, is that what'll get y'all get to you better? Or He said, yeah, Dad. Ain't no problem with me. I'm more cognitive now. I get up. I'm. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? <laughs> Versus banging the pulpit and yelling and screaming and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just a matter of adjusting methodology and not principles, you know what I mean? Just that's your method. Don't die for a method. That's all I'm saying. And I think being open to that. Secondly, I think that we have to understand that Every generation is marked by some things. Boomers are marked, builders are marked by something, boomers, you know, busters, and, and, and um, those millenniums are marked by something. One of the things that they are marked by is that they think out the box. Sometimes they even kick the box over and tear the box up. And they don't mind trying something, even if it fails. At least they're going to try. And we have to be open um, from this perspective. A lot of things that they do is not necessarily wrong. It's just different. It's just different. And because it's different, when we did what we did, that was different. Right. You know, when we bought hip-hop in, we had Christian. Oh, yeah, man. You know what yeah. I mean? The, Christian the, the rappers, the rappers and all that stuff. And all yeah. that kind of stuff. And Early the, on, and yeah. the, the older man was like, they turn this into the world, you know what I mean? Right. That kind of thing. So I, I think we have to Which was be. the same thing that was said when drums first came into right, the church. Right, You know, I remember, man, when people talked about the Hawkins. Yes. With Oh Happy Day yes. and all of that, man. Yes. I remember the first time they played Kirk Franklin Come on the on, radio. Man. And man, people were tripping. Yes, sir. Take six, people were Come calling, on, laughing, making Come jokes on, about it. So and, yeah, you so know the whining, the whining, right? All commission, that. all of yep. that, yeah. Commission and all that. So um, my point is, um, we've seen this transition. We lived through it. Why can't we live through another one? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why yeah. can't we be open for another one to take place? Um, uh, I'm sorry. Let me let me answer this question that the brother has, and then may I, I bring something else. No problem at all. Doctor Green, talk a little bit about uh, when you came to Sharon Church and you know, what the person attendance was like then and where it is today after 37 years. But I really want to understand what kind of 
impact you all had in the community today as well? Because like obviously you're for the churches for the community kind of thing. So yes. what are yeah. some of the things you guys have done, uh, right. some initiative methods, mm -hmm. whatever you all have done to really mm -hmm. uh, impact the community as well? Yeah. Thanks, sir. When I first went to Sharon 37 years ago, they used to have a rummy sale out on the lawn. People bringing their old clothes, crusty clothes and stuff like that. And, you know, they want people to buy it for their funds for the church. Um, after a while, I got there. I didn't do this overnight. This didn't happen overnight. But I started asking members to bring those clothes, and we're going to give them away. We're going to give them to the community. We're going to give them to... Um, now, were you all selling dinners and stuff like uh, that? All that. Early? Yeah. All okay. that. All that. Yeah. The traditional stuff that churches did back then, we did all that. If it wasn't nailed down, we sell it. You know what I mean? They, they were selling it. They, they would just sell it. They was in competition with Kentucky Fried. They had chicken fried. Competition with, uh, was that John Smith or uh, Long John, John Silver? John yeah. Silver yeah, or fish, yeah. fish, they had fish fries. I mean, they was in competition with all these commercial companies and, um, and we kind of flipped it. But we taught them first. It, I did not do anything without teaching them first and informed them the proper way and why we want to do it this way. And so instead of, you know, having fish fries to raise money, teach them how to tithe, teach them how to give. And now we do fish fries for everybody in the church and those outside the church, you know, community kind of effort, doing those kind of things back then in the seven, I mean, in the 80s and in the early 90s. And now we, we do things in a uh, different way of where we are at because it's a different community. I mean, it's just a whole new different community then we are, but we just went back to where we started at on Resurrection Sunday. So now we're getting ready to do this other initiative where um, we, we give coats to the homeless and stuff like that. We're gonna have a, 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 a drive where we're going to give out an invitation to the community, 10 block radius in each direction, that they can come and get these items. We got members that you know buy stuff, we get you, you, you get involved with like a TJ Maxx or a place like that, you can buy bulk stuff from them and then you, you know, give it to that community the way you're at. Now in Concha Hawking, they're too proud to do that. You know what I mean? We, we're not gonna do that there. It, it would not be effective. Again, that method would not be effective over there. But five miles away, 5.1 miles away, it's a whole different world. So, you know, go back and do what worked because then it did work and right now it still works because of where, you know, where we're at, located at. Yeah. Um, two things I want to close with. One, talk to and talk about, and this may be one in the same conversations, um, the pastor who's going into the church that is down, that needs to be built and the pastor that's going into a church that has a monicum of success mm -hmm. and is now trying to get their footing mm -hmm. on how to move forward. Mm -hmm. Some of your basic mm -hmm. church revitalization principles. Mm -hmm. Pastor walks in the door, what do you say to that pastor? Whether he's trying to build a ministry okay. or resurrect a ministry or he's coming into an established ministry. Right. What do you say to that pastor? I, I think 
Um, I think there are two different things, two different conversations for each scenario. The one that's going into a situation that's down and trying to build it, first you gotta find out what's the history of that church? What, what, what was it before you got there? If there is any history to it, nine out of 10, there is history to it. Find out what it was and then find out what it was that made it get to where it is. Again, time, little research, little, you know, being deliberate about that kind of thing. And then you do just the opposite of what got it down. You do the opposite to build it where it needs to be. Person going into a situation that's already established, um, established institutional kind of church. The first thing I would say to that pastor is, I know this is gonna sound crazy in this day, don't touch nothing. Don't touch nothing. I mean, don't change nothing. Don't change the mic stand. If it's in that mic stand and you know there's a better mic stand, keep that mic stand for a minute. It's working. <laughs> it ain't broke. Keep that mic stand. I'm using the extreme to, 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 to communicate the, the relevant and what it is. Otherwise, Please don't go in there thinking that you have power that you have not earned and authority that have not been given unto you. I think we are delusional. I did it my first two years. I tried to touch some stuff and it backfired and the response was different and all those kind of things. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm not doing anything to hurt the church. I thought this would help the church but they don't even know they need the help and they might not receive it as help. They may receive it as an insult. That you're saying that we've been doing it this long, now you coming in here thinking that, you know, the way we've been doing it, you're telling us we're wrong. And that's not what you're saying, but unfortunately what you're doing is what they're saying. I think our methods can cast a shadow over our motives. So I would say, don't touch it. Um, don't, 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 don't do nothing. Because you don't know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, D, but I, I just think that you don't have no vision for that church just because they called you in. You don't have no vision for it right now. Yeah. You got to find out where it is and what it, it is. You know, it's amazing you say that because I always, when I consult with churches and they ask about asking that question, I always tell them that's a trick question. Yes, it is. I said, and I always tell ministers yeah. who are responding to yeah. a request for a resume that if they ask you that question, that's a trick question. Yep. God's not going to give you a vision for what you don't have. Yes. Right? Like, yes. how are you going to talk about it? For what you don't have, for people you don't know. Hello. Hello. And, 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 and I, I liken it to going into a doctor's office and the doctor just starts treating you. Yeah, that's disrespectful. Right, like don't, don't, they, don't they give you a <laughs> form first, yes, ask sir. you for yes, your yes, personal history and family yes. history? Absolutely. And then the physician's assistant's gonna ask you questions yes, Absolutely. and give you an opportunity to respond. Right. Then the doctor's gonna come in and is gonna say, what's wrong? Yes, sir. Because until you deal with my felt needs, 
Absolutely. You can't even tell me about my real needs. Absolutely. Can't you know, do it. right? My blood pressure's high. You yeah. got to tell me how to get my blood pressure down absolutely. before you start changing my diet. Absolutely. <laughs> you want to give me some medicine or something, right? Absolutely. Help me get there. So, absolutely. yeah, I agree with you. I, I, think, I think it's being presumptuous. I think it's also being a little arrogant, yeah. a little proud um, that you know what. And what you know in the short time that you've been there, I'm not saying there's no legitimacy to it. Right. I'm just saying that you just can't touch that right now. You got to earn that. Like when Jesus Christ came into our lives, Tell me if there's anybody in this room that trusted him for every area of your life when you first came into your life in faith. I know, you, and if you say you did, you lying. You are a lying wonder. <laughs> no. Thank God that he's merciful. He's, he's understanding, all-knowing. He proved himself to us on who he was. And still is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, still and got some still, stuff I'm trying come to Come on now. Okay. Come on here. And he's <coughs> extending to us, you know, showing us that he has a right to be who he is in our lives personally. And that's not just Savior, that's Lord. He is Lord theologically, but he does not necessarily um, become Lord pragmatically overnight. So if that's true for him, and he is sinless. There is no fault in him. John said there's no darkness in him at all. And you and I got sin running through our veins. And we want the people to trust us. And we just got there yesterday. You got to, you're delusional. I'm sorry, you are delusional. You cannot do that, so therefore, you know, the old, the, 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 the number was back in the day, and I think it still is relevant today. You may be the pastor in name, but you don't become the pastor in function till about five to seven years. And that depends on the church that you're at, one. Secondly, it depends on the predecessor that they had. And you can find out the type of person he or she was, then you can also kind of maneuver better because you won't do what they did or won't do something that reminds them of what that person did. And most of them, most of the congregations, they're really not mad at you. They don't even know you. But they're taking out on you what the predecessor did that they never had a chance to address with him. So they take it out on you because you're the closest one around. How, how long did it take you to become the pastor, Sharon? Six years. Something about that five to seven years. Yeah, yeah. It was a six year that I became, I, rem, I know it like, I remember it like it was yesterday, that I became the pastor of Sharon Baptist Church. I literally felt like the people saying to me, Here, here's the reins. Yeah. Now you can go ahead. But that came through a time of trauma and trial. You know, it was very dramatic. Because I had to disfellowship about six deacons from that church. And they never, that never happened. Yeah. In the church, and I probably can say in the city of Philadelphia, <laughs> you know, where six deacons, you know, they hear preachers getting put out. But you don't put out no deacons, that, that kind of thing. 
And that night, I remember a woman that used to come to me year after year at the end of the service. How you doing, Rev? How you doing, preacher? That was a good message, boy. You're doing good. That night, she came up to me and she said, how my pastor doing tonight? Oh, it's, oh, now I'm your pastor. Yeah. And I received it graciously. Yeah. As an honor, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that there's that line in the sand, that kind of okay corral moment for every preacher that has to be crossed and managed. Yep. Trauma, test, trial. Yep. For people to know that they can trust you. Absolutely. For you to become the pastor. Absolutely. Um, and I remember the last person that called me pastor. Mm. It was nine years. Wow. Now, I, th I think I was pastoring before oh, that. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But, but right. I remember the last Her. person. I remember her. Yes, sir. And I remember when she said, How's my pastor doing? And yeah. I literally turned around That's and looked right. for Pastor Kimball. Kimball I was right, like, right. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, because people would say, You know, Pastor Kimball, yeah. I mean Pastor Kofi. Yes, you sir. Know? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, it's no problem phonetically. I know right. it's the same Kofi or Kimball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different letters, right, but right, I understand. Right. No problem. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. Man, I, I, let me tell you something. I appreciate this opportunity man just for us to talk and yes, and to share uh, man I, I don't have to tell you but I'm gonna tell you I love you oh man love you more bro. man I appreciate you, you and more, uh, man. man just thank God for how you allow God to use you and how God has used you in my life oh, bless um, you, and I thank man you, I, I I can't tell you um, whatever I can pay forward to somebody else oh, you know, when I think about my, I, I got two Mount Rushmore's, right? Gotcha. I got the guys who influenced me, some of whom I knew. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have another group who's kind of like peers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. older brothers, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I've, so I've got mm -hmm. that Mount Rushmore, you know, man, Dr. Right. Taylor, right. Dr. Hill, and right. Dr. Manuel Scott. But man, and I've got that other mm. that other Mount Rushmore. You know, it's kind of like good, I got Bill That's Russell good. over here. Yeah, right, right. You know, but I'm gonna put Akeem Olajuwon over here. here. Yes, you know sir. I mean? Yes, sir. I got, I got yes, Mike sir. over here. Yes, I'll put Kobe yes, over here. here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I, and that second team yes, is sir. bad team. Yes, sir. But yes, man, sir. you 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 are right there, man. Thank I mean, you, in terms man. of just your love and, and honored, your encouragement, man. Thank you, over the years, man, and 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 man, I want us to pray our way out, man, and just pray God's blessings that he would continue over you, Amen. all right? Thank you, man. Man, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. I thank you for Keith Reed. I thank you for uh, the years of faithfulness in using him in the preaching and teaching of the gospel, training men and women, church leaders to be the best that they can be. Um, I thank you because uh, even before he was pastoring, God, you used him as an example and a shining light to encourage and inspire a generation of preachers who were looking up to him before he even knew they were looking mm -hmm. up to and at him. Yes, and even now, as he has shifted from just being a, a son to preachers and pastors to being a brother to now mm -hmm. being an uncle and a father to mm -hmm brothers and sisters in the Lord God. I just pray that your faithfulness will continue over his life. Uh, bless him, bless his family, 
Uh, bless the ministry that you have given him charge over yes. and all that his hands touch. Uh, God, where our prayers fall short, we ask you to make up the difference. Amen. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Come on, man. Let's thank God for Dr. Reed. Bless you, man. we can move <coughs> all right man anybody want to come up man and uh, holla at him yes sir